Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's continue just one more verse into 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. It's like a four-point sermon in two sentences and one single verse. Let's start with the first, the first quadrant here. Since we know the fear of the Lord. This may sound familiar if you were with us in our apologetic series, Reason for Hope. Proverbs 1-7 is the basis for Christian epistemology. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. This, this couplet of teachings in chapter 5, verse 11 begins with the fear of the Lord. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. If we know the fear of the Lord, that reverential awe for God, that proper trembling when you become painfully aware of how sinful we are and how holy He is, the natural, logical, obvious next step is to try to persuade other people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some debate around this, this word persuade people. I know that my, uh, I know that strictly speaking, I would qualify, I guess, as a Calvinist, but there are some Calvinist commentators who, who try to contort this verse and make it say something it doesn't plainly, obviously, clearly say. It clearly says, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. That's what it says, so let it speak. We know the role of the Holy Spirit in that act of persuasion, and like we've said every single time we brought this up, it's a miracle of God when somebody confesses Jesus as Lord. But this all begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is also the very beginning of epistemology. It's also the beginning of knowledge. All of epistemology, all of education then, by the way, really begins with a fear of the Lord. Without a fear of the Lord, you can't have proper knowledge that's founded upon anything else. Everything that you would know is rendered untenable. Everything that you would state as factual is fractured a priori without a fear of the Lord. You may remember what this was like when you yourself were skeptical of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would be haunted by things like what happens when we die. You'd be haunted by the fact that you'll never be able to account for where the universe came from. You'd be haunted by things like where do my thoughts come from really and truly like what is consciousness and then you see the irony of trying to measure consciousness via consciousness like you get haunted by this kind of stuff and it can it can really mess with you but when you have a fear of the Lord then it all falls in place. You see where it's actually always been you have this foundation to it. You were sort of floating over an intellectual abyss before that, not really being able to account for where everything came from and where life came from and where it's going. And then when you have a fear of the Lord, you have the basics of all of knowledge itself. Your epistemology is complete. You didn't just skip the all-important step one that is ill-advised in baking, it's ill-advised in the construction of houses, and it's certainly ill-advised in the construction of a worldview. But when you have that fear of the Lord in place, you know what's naturally gonna follow? The second, uh, the second quadrant of this teaching, we try to persuade people. I mean, duh, it's just obvious. Of course, because you get it, 
you're gonna invite others into it. Because you understand it, because you've, you've gotten this glimpse of who God is, you have this inkling of how sinful we are, how holy he is, how immense the cross is, the natural next step, it then follows that you would try to persuade people of this. Again, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it possible for sinners like us to confess Jesus as Lord. We are part of his redemptive mission. That's the honor of our lives. We've been commissioned by Jesus in the Great Commission to make disciples. We have a fear of the Lord, and so we try to persuade people. We try, we go for it. Not everybody's gonna believe, that's okay. It's not a failure to try to persuade people. It's a failure if you've never tried to persuade anyone. But because you have a fear of the Lord, you're gonna try to persuade people. You're gonna try. And then when they do come to faith in Christ, you sit back and you have a front row seat to watch God draw someone from darkness to light, from sin to repentance, from death to life. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And we do this because we fear the Lord. What's the alternative? That you would know the gospel, you would know the one hope for sinners like us in the universe and never tell anyone, never say anything, never try to persuade a single soul ever, you would have the gospel and salvation and hoard it and never engage anyone with it. It is better by far to go out and try to engage a thousand different people on a thousand different occasions, get shot down a thousand different times than it is to have never tried to persuade anyone, Christian. You have the fear of the Lord, therefore it follows that you would try to persuade people. And when you do this, it's not from a place of intellectual condescension. It's not the winning of an oratorical debate. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And it's an invitation into the same grace that you and I have found for our sin. Therefore, since we have a fear of the Lord, we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. The, the third quadrant says, what we are is plain to God. Man, if you're, if you're a married man especially, you get this, you know how this goes can't get away with anything. <laughs> you can't hide anything, not even a gift for your wife on Valentine's Day. Like I've yet to be able to do that successfully. She always finds what I buy her. Like, you can't hide anything from your wives. And if you're, even if you're, if you're not a married man, like you, you understand this, you get this as well. You can't hide anything from God, all right? You can't hide anything from God. What we are is plain to him. It's just obvious. It's just clear how silly it is of us to try to pull a fast one on God. He knows about our sin. He saw us commit it. He, uh, he gave us a way out upon temptation. He was faithful the moment we were tempted, and he's faithful even after we've messed up, too, when we confess our sins. He's faithful, he's just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are, we are very clear to God. He breathed life into Adam. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our prayers before we pray them. How silly it is of us to try to pull a fast one on God he goes on to say, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. So this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. It's pretty clear at this point, you know, when we try to pull a fast one on God, we're failing to do so. But we can also pull a fast one on ourselves. Confucius actually may have been onto something. He may have veered just a little bit into Christian truth at this, at this juncture to know yourself. It, it's, a, it's a painful thing when you become aware of your sinfulness and you get an inkling of God's holiness, Paul is hoping that we're not deluded. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your consciences. This is a painful realization until you understand the grace of God. 
when you become aware of just how sinful we are, you come under deep conviction for sin, it is all the more, all the more beautiful when you get a glimpse of the grace of God. Because it can be painful even and, and scary to become aware, you know, like Jonathan Edwards Puritan style preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's true, but there's also great grace in God. It's true God has wrath for sin, but it's also true that God has grace for sinners. I pray that we are aware of our own sin, and I pray that we are also aware of the grace of God. Paul's prayer is that just as you are, just as God is aware of, of you and I, I pray that our consciences are also aware of who we really are. This can be a tricky sort of cul-de-sac in the debate with an atheist who wants to become his own, his own, his own logos. He wants to be his own arbiter of right and wrong. This is a fool's errand because he will be legalistic against the guy who steals his car, but he'll be incredibly lenient on himself. And his sense of justice will ebb and flow with the amount of sleep and the food he's had. Whereas God's word is unchanging. And by our consciences, we can see the standard and see how short we fall from it. May God show grace to sinners like us. So here are the, here are the four quadrants all together. Look, therefore, we know the fear of the Lord. And for that reason, we try to persuade people. What we are is patently obvious to God. I pray that it's also clear to our consciences.